Uh, well, good morning. Uh, if I've not met you, uh, my name is David Comey. I'm the lead pastor here at Apostles Houston, and it's never too late. Oh, all good. Okay. Um, so if you're new to Apostles Houston, if this is your first Sunday, we're especially glad that you're here. We are going through a series uh, on Romans, and so I want to invite you to grab a Bible and go ahead and open that up. Uh, there's one in the seat back near you, or if you want to open that up on your phone, uh, Romans Uh, And we are in chapter 8. We're beginning chapter 8 this morning, the verses that we just heard read by Peter. Um, As you're turning there, just uh, a little note about chapter 8. Chapter 8 has actually been called by some uh, the greatest chapter, single chapter, in the Bible. Um, And there's good reason for that. It's full of some really beautiful and powerful uh, scripture passages many of which come in kind of the second half, and we're going to get to that second half next week. Well, let me just read just kind of some of the the greatest hits of Romans 8, right? So verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Verse 26, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Verse 28, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Verse 31, if God is for us, who can be against us? Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And in verse 37, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. It's just incredible, incredible chapter, chapter 8. And this morning, we're going to jump into chapter 8 And it begins with another one of these powerful, uh, beautiful, and arresting passages. Uh, In verse 1, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. The gospel. Again, this entire book Paul is constantly putting the good news of Jesus in front of us. And here the gospel declares that by God's grace, through faith in Jesus, we have been set free from the law of sin and death. We were slaves to sin, and now we are free in Christ. Amen? Amen. So here's the question then that Paul turns to in light of that great truth. He's going to ask, so why then is it that we still struggle with sin? If that's true, that we were slaves to sin and we've been set free, we were dead, we are now alive, we are now in Christ, why is it that we still sin? Why at times do I not feel free from sin? Why so often does my sin still seem to get the better of me? And so that's what Paul wants to turn our attention to. And the truth is that we are free from the slavery of sin, but we also continue to sin. Both those things are are true. And in Romans 7, Paul describes the Christian life uh, in a way that helps us kind of understand that dynamic. He, he describes it essentially as a battle. Uh, to be clear, it's not an internal battle. I think it's important for us to understand. He's not saying there's good parts of David and then there's bad parts of David and they're kind of warring it out inside to see who's going to follow Jesus. We can, we can get that kind of conception and that's not actually what he teaches. Paul says, Uh, In 8, verse 9, if you want to look there, he says, You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, 
He says, you're not in the realm of the flesh. You're not given over to sin. But instead, you are in the realm of the what? The spirit. You're in the realm of the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. In other words, in Christ, as he says in 2 Corinthians, we are a new creation. We are born again. The old is gone, and the new has come. And so the battle takes place within that, within our newness, uh, not as divided between good and evil. So what is the battle? Our battle is between who we used to be, the old us, and who we are now in Christ, the new us. That's, that's the battle that he's talking about. And so when he says these words, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's us. Those who have chosen to follow Jesus, if that's where you are in your journey, you've come to faith in Jesus, you are in Christ Jesus, you have his spirit, you are free. You are free from sin and death, from their power, from their slavery. And so he can say with all confidence, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I love how Ray Ortland describes these verses in his commentary on Romans. He says this, he says, two great armies clash on the battlefield of life the people of God, and the sins that would defeat them. God's people do not fight as well as they should. Sometimes they even yield to the enemy. But even as the battle rages, Christ, our commander, orders that a banner be raised in the middle of the fray for all to see. And on the banner is written, no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And the declaration has a remarkable effect on the people of God, it gives them assurance so that they can rejoice in the certainty and the final triumph of Christ and are energized to fight on. The banner over us is no condemnation in Christ. And so Romans 8, 1, when we read it, we should read it as a declaration of what is true of us. It's a declaration that we are free from sin even as we struggle with sin. No condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Life is this battle. It's a battle between the people of God and sin, as he says. And the battle, we know, belongs to our God. Praise God. The victory is his. But sometimes the battle is really hard. Sometimes it's really hard. And that's why Paul is making this declaration. And he wants us, people in battle, to hear it as such. Uh, in the summer of 1776, we get a little American history Right here. All right. In summer of 1776, George Washington was waging war against Great Britain, and he was leading a group of tired and demoralized troops. And what happened was he gathered them on a common in lower Manhattan because he had some news to share with them. On July 2nd, the Continental Congress had made an important declaration, just like Paul's making a declaration. They made a declaration, and they sent a copy of that declaration to General Washington, and he had it read out loud that day to every soldier who was present. This declaration of independence was a game changer for his troops. It changed the way they understood the battle they were fighting. It was received with joy and enthusiasm. It was reported by others that New York citizens who were there and heard it ran down Broadway proclaiming this declaration of independence, that now they were not just fighting in defense of their colonies, but for the birth of a new nation. It was a declaration that inspired and sustained them in the fight. I think Paul's declaration is meant to do something similar here. It is meant to inspire and sustain us 
in the fight. No condemnation. Don't give up. Don't give up. Keep fighting with the assurance of God's grace. No matter what the enemy throws at you, what sins you commit, you are not condemned in Christ. And so when the voice of condemnation comes and it says to you, you are not good enough. When the voice of condemnation comes to you and says, you should be ashamed of your sin. When the voice of condemnation comes and says, you're never gonna beat this thing. You keep trying again and again and it's got the better of you. God is so disappointed. He is so tired of you coming to him again and again and again. You've disqualified yourself from God's love. When you hear that voice of condemnation, you declare no, no condemnation in Christ Jesus. That's what he wants us to to hear in these first verses. And so with this truth in mind, he's gonna set out over the next uh, half of the chapter to encourage us in this fight as those who are not condemned but free in Christ. He wants to help us answer another question. Okay, God, if all that's true, how are you gonna help me fight these real battles with sin in my life? We're, we're all gonna wake up tomorrow morning, we're gonna get about our day, and in the midst of it, we're gonna confront temptation. And the truth is, we're gonna give in to temptation at different points. And so what do we do in the midst of this battle that's raging between our old self and our new self? And Paul here is gonna give us three encouragements that I wanna highlight. Three encouragements for the battle. And the first is this, that we fight the battle in the power of the Spirit. We fight the battle in the power of the Spirit. Here's what's amazing. In the first uh, six chapters, seven chapters of Romans, the Spirit is mentioned five times. From nine to 16, after chapter eight, it's mentioned nine times, eight times. But here in chapter eight, it's mentioned 21 times. The Spirit is all over Romans chapter eight. If you wanna know what life in the Spirit is like, read chapter eight of Romans. And so why is Paul talking about the Holy Spirit here so much? Why does he want to tell us about the Spirit? Because the Holy Spirit is God's gift to weak Christians. (laughs) The Holy Spirit is God's gift to weak Christians. We have to fight sin, but on our own, we cannot defeat sin. The law has shown that. We need more than rules and more than judgments. We need more than our good intentions. We need the grace and the all-sufficient strength of Jesus at work in us. And that's what the Holy Spirit brings to bear. The Holy Spirit brings to bear the grace of Jesus in the deepest parts of who we are. The Holy Spirit actually fills us with the holiness of God so we can be holy as he is holy. The Holy Spirit, Paul says, sets our minds on the things of God so that we desire the things of God. Think about that. In other words, what the Holy Spirit does is it helps us want what we should want. I don't know about you, but I struggle wanting what I should want. And the Holy Spirit actually gives us that. It gives us the strength to do what we cannot do on our own, to say no to sin and yes to God. So God is working all of this through his Spirit in us empowering us to do what we cannot do. This is the mystery of Christ in us and us in Christ. Paul talks about this constantly in his letters, the fact that we are in Christ and Christ is in us. It's what Jesus described in John 15. Jesus said it this way. He said, I'm the vine, you're the branches, abide in me and I in you. 
This is the work of the Holy Spirit to remind us of who we are as we are in Christ. And so we are in this Jesus, right, who took all our sin on himself as if it was his own. We are in this Jesus who, whose righteousness has become our righteousness. We are in this Jesus who exchanged places with us and took on the condemnation of our sin. We are in this Jesus who rose to new life as we just celebrated. We continue to celebrate in Easter in whom we have life with God forever. We are in that Jesus. That's where we are now located. And so church, we need the Holy Spirit to remind us of who we are in Christ. In Christ. We need to pour over the scriptures and learn who we are. We need to sing songs like we were singing this morning that remind us of who we are. We need to pray daily, Holy Spirit, remind me of who I am in Christ and give me the strength and the courage I need to go into this battle of life today. And he'll do it. He'll do it. So first, we fight in the power of the spirit, the spirit of life. Second thing that God gives us here encouraging us is that we fight with the weapon of Christ's righteousness. We fight with the weapon of Christ's righteousness. Verse 10, look there. 8.10 says, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, this is what he calls the flesh, the spirit is life because of why? Righteousness, because of righteousness. Our union, our oneness, our in Christness also means that his righteousness has been credited to us. That's why there's no condemnation over us in Christ. When God looks at us, what does he see? He sees the righteousness of Christ. We are covered. We are under his righteousness. But here's the thing. Righteousness isn't just about a change in our state or our status before God. It's his ongoing work in the spirit to make us a holy people. In other words, the righteousness is a strong weapon that God has given us in our warfare with sin and temptation. I love how one commentator uh, made an analogy to kind of help uh, it helped me get my mind around how this actually works itself out in the midst of my life. And this, this is what he said. He said, think of the gospel like this. You've been given a credit card, okay? A credit card from heaven. And on this credit card uh, is your justification. Access is infinite in terms of the resources of the merits of Christ. If you can take this card, receive it, from God, all your moral debts, all of your debts will be laid on this card. They'll be paid for, covered. And here's the thing. You can carry that card wherever you go. Whatever you're doing, you can take that card, that credit card with you. And whenever you sin, you just charge it to the card. You charge it to the card. Whenever you sin, you charge it to Jesus. And when you put your faith in Jesus, you receive this gift. So now, he says, when you sin, you know what to do. You take out your card, and by faith, you let Jesus pay for it. Now, obviously, you can abuse the credit card, right? And he's already talked about that in earlier chapters, about cheap grace. But that's not what's being described here. This is not go on a spending spree of sin with no consequences. That's hypocrisy. This credit card is actually only good for people of faith, a faith that hungers and thirsts for righteousness. The credit card is for those whose hearts long to be rid of sin, and for them it really is free and wonderful as this credit card. So the reality is that we sin. 
You and I sin, but the difference is we're no longer enslaved to sin or under the power of sin. It has no authority on us. We've been declared righteous, and we are armed with a new credit card, the credit card of God's righteousness, right? his justification. So here's a powerful truth, I think, implication of that. In Christ, his righteousness actually gives you the ability to resist sin. So just think about that. You don't have to sin. Let me just say that again. You don't have to sin. And the reason that's true is because of the righteousness of Christ in you, the work of the Spirit in you. It's also true that when you give in to sin, his righteousness covers you. It's both. He's got you coming and going. And so that's the beauty and the power of this weapon of righteousness. It doesn't make sin trivial. It's not some superficial covering. Paul wants to see sin in all its terrible and destructive reality, and yet we are covered. It is covered by the blood of Jesus. To see that in Christ, we are righteous and we are being made righteous. Jesus has got us. He has us. Now, here's the thing that I think we struggle with. I think sometimes we just don't use the card. We have a credit card. We have the opportunity to come and say, my sin has been laid on Jesus, and I don't have to bear the burden. Instead, what we do is we live under the, the, the guilt and the shame of our sin. We won't release it to Jesus. And what's worse, at least in my life, in my experience, sometimes what I try to do is I try to deal with this in a kind of false repentance. What I mean by that is I, I feel really bad about my sin. I really messed up and I feel really bad and I'm just gonna condemn myself over and over and over in my thoughts and I'm gonna feel bad enough for long enough so that God will forgive me. Now, I'm probably the only person that does that, <laughs> but I just wanted to share it just in case it's helpful. The, the truth is the enemy doesn't want you to believe something that's already true. You're already forgiven. Before you ever come and ask the Lord Jesus for forgiveness, you are forgiven you cannot earn God's forgiveness. You will never do enough to earn his forgiveness. And the good news is you don't have to. You already have it. You already have been given his righteousness in Christ. And so if that's something you struggle with, you know, maybe, maybe for you it's receiving the forgiveness of God. That's the way it manifests itself. It's, it's living under this sense of condemnation. That's not true. It's not who you are in Christ I wanna encourage you at some point to do this. I want you to take a piece of paper or an index card or a post-it something and I want you to write out Romans 8, 1. I want you to write it out, but I want you to put a big blank in the verse so that it says, there is therefore now no condemnation for blank who is in Christ Jesus and I want you to write your name in the blank. There is therefore now no condemnation for David, for David who is in Christ Jesus. His mercy is for me. His grace, it's for me. There's no condemnation. So you run up the huge debt on your sin. The righteousness of Christ has been applied to your account. It is your weapon against condemnation. Amen? Amen. Last thing, quickly. We fight not only uh, in the strength of the Spirit and with the righteousness of Christ, but as children of hope. Uh, verse two, for the law of the spirit of life has set us free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Without Jesus, we are rightly condemned for our sin. Without Jesus, we are guilty before God. But by grace through faith in Christ, our guilt has been taken away. We really are free. 
We really are free, free from the guilt and the shame. And the question is, do we believe that? Do we believe that? Too often, I think we make the Christian life about trying to be good people and not about grace. We make it about sin management and behavior modification. And in effect, what we say is, hey, Jesus, thank you so much for saving me. I got this now. I'll do the rest from here. I'll call you if I need you. We take on this kind of self-sanctification project. And the problem is that we try to meet the challenge of God's law through our own strength. And what happens is it only reinforces and strengthens the sin in our life because it becomes self-righteousness. It becomes pride. It makes us pretenders. We aren't really letting God transform us in the depths of who we are. Instead, we think, well, as long as I look good and I I, kind of give the appearance of a faithful Christian, then I'm okay. Meanwhile, sin is killing our soul. That's why he says you have to get rid of sin. You have to kill sin or it will be killing you. And so we all face this temptation. Paul himself says at the end of chapter seven, he says, in my inner being, I delight in God's truth, but in my members, all the members, all the ways he's living out his faith, right? There's another law vying for control. Our old sinful self wants to take things back. It wants to convince us that we should say, yeah, God, I I got this. I'll call you if I need you. We all want deliverance from that old way of thinking and living and freedom from irresistible urges like to gossip. Do you wanna be free from that? Do you wanna be free from impure thoughts? Do you wanna be free from jealousy, free from anger, free from hard-heartedness, free from fear? Simply trying harder will not get you there. It won't work. It actually makes it worse. But the Spirit gives us hope, and this is how. Listen to what Paul says starting in verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. But if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Paul, I love how he gives us this image of adoption. That's our hope. That's our hope. In this fight, we have a loving father who is rooting for us, who loves us and wants us to come to him for help. We are his children. You know what kids are? At least my kids are. You know what they are? They are dependent. They are totally dependent on Langley and me as parents. They are absolutely dependent. They need help all the time. Sometimes it makes me feel a little crazy how much help they need, how dependent they can be. And I say that now knowing one day I will miss that. I will long for them to come to me and ask for things. But I think it's such a beautiful picture of what, what God is inviting us into, that like children, we can't, we can't do life on our own. We can't do it on our own. Like children, we are invited to come to him with no mask, no pretense. As children, we cry out, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. And so if we want to be ready for this fight against sin every day, that's how we come to him. We come to Heavenly Father and we, we come like a child, not strong and independent and in control of our lives, but weak and in need. And that's how we come to him every day, without fear and free from condemnation. 
we can be real with him and honest with him and ask not only for his forgiveness, but for his help. And so I just want to encourage you, when was the last time you took a few moments to cry out to God as Abba, Father? Cry out to him as your father. You are his adopted child and he is your ever-present help in life. Call out to him and he will do for you what you cannot do for yourself. No condemnation. No condemnation for those who are in Christ. In Christ we are free, but the Christian life is a battle. It's a battle between who we are and who we used to be. A battle we fight in the power of the Spirit, armed with the weapon of righteousness and in our hope as beloved children of the Father. Thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.